Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. I'm your host, Bill Sickens. With me as always, Jeremy and Gretchen. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hello there. So we've got some interesting stuff coming up this week. We talk about technology here all the time, of course, and listener questions that keep coming in that I think are very important is how do you protect your tech? We're going to be talking about that a little bit later on in the show with some avenues, some very basic things that you can do and some more advanced stuff you can do. But at the end of the day, a lot of money gets invested in technology and equipment and electronics and all that kind of stuff. So it's definitely valid. And Jeremy Gretchen, I know you're going to be talking about a show that you have been watching. Again, we're getting closer to Halloween. And it's called Ghosts. So we're going to have that coming up a little later in the show. Uh, sounds very interesting to me. Hmm. Uh, we were talking a little bit before we started recording today about that. So that's going to be kind of cool. I might even find the time to watch it, uh, even though I haven't had a <laughs> lot of television lately. But, you know, some stuff you just got to do. But, uh, you know, and along those lines, I finally finished the Orville New Horizons. And, oh, good. Yep, yep. Uh, and were that you impressed? Was, I'm very impressed. I think they did a very nice job. It was amazing. And it was amazing. It hits a lot of very important topics too. And they oh, yeah. do it well, tastefully, but you definitely walk away with it thinking about things that you wouldn't have otherwise. And some of those conversations are important, especially with all that's going on in the world now, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so no, I think they did a nice job. I'm not going to give it away for anybody that hasn't seen it yet, but it's definitely worth checking out. It's on Hulu and that's the only place you can get to it right now. But worth getting in there. So, like I said earlier, we're getting closer to Halloween and things are coming up, and we've got a lot of pictures that have started coming in over social media, surprisingly enough, LinkedIn primarily. So, we're going to be sharing that when we get a little bit closer to that day. A lot of very interesting costumes, and there's one Halloween setup with lights and all kinds of different things. I, I love these every year when different people put out the big light shows, but this one really takes the cake and he's going to be coming on in about two weeks and talking about how they put that together. Awesome. I'll have that coming up for you a little later this month. All right. What do we have in the news this week? The iPhone 14 keeps calling 911 on roller coasters. Now I, might, I sort of can understand this. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say too, from a, you know, 10,000 foot view and literally there, maybe um, I might call 911 too, but what's actually going on here is the iPhone 14 has a feature that it will detect if you're in a crash or fall, you know, stuff like that. And it will call 911 to get you help. The only problem is the roller coasters are fooling that feature and it's causing it to do that. Either that or the AI in the iPhone just doesn't like roller coasters. One of the two. Well, now I could agree with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe it's... I guess it's I guess it depends going. on the roller coaster. I guess it depends yeah. on the roller coaster. It's going gonna, it's gonna to depend on the roller coaster. So, okay, anyway, uh, after... After 23 years, Weather Channel's iconic computerized channel is shutting down. Yeah, this is WeatherScan. Back in the early 2000s, I remember this. Uh, I used to put it up and watch it, and it gave you the weather from all these different places. It was actually kind of cool, but it's kind of lived its life. And right now, if you want the weather, you can look it up on everything from your computer to your watch in most cases. So it's just not something that's used like it used to be. The big guys cut the channel a while ago. The smaller cable companies have kept it up. But I can remember these type of services, you know, as technology changes. I, I know growing up in northern Nevada, we used to have a number where you called time. 
Yeah. Four four one two one two, and it gave you the correct time, and that finally got turned off for the same reason. It was just not worth maintaining the equipment, and all of that sometimes becomes more expensive than it's worth, especially if people aren't using it like they once did. Bar ultraviolet LED efficiently kills bacteria and viruses without harming people. So I think that we want to see a little more testing on this, but the initial results are looking pretty good. So what this is, is it's a kind of LED bulb that can disinfect surfaces. And not that that in of itself is a brand new technology. What's around now can be harmful to you. And some of the stuff that isn't doesn't seem to work. I've had this argument with some of the systems they have for, say, cleaning CPAP hoses and things that they claim mm-hmm. to all this stuff that don't necessarily do anything. But this is something that actually does seem to be working. Can you and explain if, far ultraviolet? Do you understand uh, that? Frequency. It has to do with the frequency. Okay. All right. So, uh, you know, and digging in, digging into that's kind of more than we have time for this moment. But yeah, <laughs> okay. it has to do with the engineering behind it. And, uh, you know, there's different stuff that defines the way that uh, lighting works. And this just applies to that. So, you know... COVID-19 has created a situation where we've been looking for a lot of ways to disinfect things. And when COVID first started, the disinfecting protocol everybody was going to, it's gotten to the point in a lot of places they've had to replace the furniture because what they were doing ate through the finishes, you know. So coming up with a better way to handle this, especially something that is safe and would have the ability to be used very quickly and easily without all of that and without the chemicals would be really cool. So we'll keep an eye on this and hopefully it will continue to do what it looks like it's going to. Hmm. Cyborg cockroaches are coming, and they just want to help. I think we need to find a different name for these guys. Uh, yeah, yeah, I do too. Now, what are they? <laughs> little, little, little. Yeah, they're little. Ro- they're little robotic flying machines, like robotic flies or RoboFly. And what these are is a mechanism that is designed to do things that we can't do with heavy robotics. So, in other words, checking out to see if there's something like a gas leak. You could fly one of these in and they'd have sensors and be able to report back to the operator, you know, what's going on. So it kind of gives you a sensor net. And there's kind of some cool ideas in here. I don't think any of the ones I've seen actually really look like a cockroach. Maybe like a bug would be an accurate description of them. Yeah, maybe bug generic sounds better. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, but the thing of it is, is something like this could be very beneficial. Uh, You have an earthquake and people can't get into the rubble, but they can to see if there's people alive or where they are. That's a really good idea. So now the negative side to it is they have very small cameras and they're hard to see. So you could send one of these in the eavesdrop on somebody, you know, so you've got positive and negative. Hollywood's going to be upset about this. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think one of the other things and they're starting to work on it is detectors for video recording, which is not just for this, but is a very good idea with all the concealed cameras that are popping up in places they shouldn't be and stuff so that you can kind of see what's going on. And they've been working on that technology too. So that would help here. But again, at the end of the day, having something like this that would be able to do that and there's no harm that's going to come to anybody. And if they get stuck, it's just a little robot. It's, you know, no AI or anything like that even. So it's not a, uh, not a problem from that standpoint. And you might be able to really help rescue people, you know, save people from problems. Internal memos reportedly say Mark Zuckerberg's big metaverse app is suffering a high um, equality problem, and even employees aren't using it enough. Yeah, and when I tried to research this topic, I I have a, a Oculus Quest headset, 
And I just wanted to get on and just see what was going on and it wouldn't connect. And then I got an error from Facebook and then I looked it up and oh. it's a known error and there's some big, long procedure I have to go through to fix it. So I would say that this is probably true. <laughs> so I haven't, I haven't turned on mine in a while. Am I going to have this problem? You might. I'd be curious to see if you do. We'll have to research it okay. out and let everybody know what happens and what we need to do to fix them. The thing of it is, is okay. uh, Metaverse was a big deal about a year ago and it's kind of waned a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. We don't hear as much about it now as, as we did. And part of that is, especially if it's not working, um, I don't know what the extent of all of this is, but I will attempt to get my headset online and let's all try to get ours going okay. again. Yeah. And see if we can even get it work. Now, my big thing with virtual reality headsets was playing games like Beat Saber. That's where, more where I'm at, the whole that's metaverse exactly, thing. That's exactly yeah. what I was doing. And my space to play Beat Saber has gotten messed up. And I, I, you can't play Beat Saber when you don't have space. Yeah, and true. And, and a lot of that kind of thing, because you have to have the motion. But the point is, at the end of the day, it you know, we'll have to see what comes of it. But if it doesn't work, that's a problem. So we'll have to get back to everybody on that and see if we can even get into the system to find out. I guess not being able to get in is definitely a problem. Hmm. Amazon abandons home delivery robot tests in latest cost cuts. Yeah, so they're looking at different ways. Amazon really got propped up during COVID, and now that things are returning to normal, they're not delivering as much. In fact, they've nixed plans for a number of delivery warehouses around the country and are uh, shutting down others. And some of these things are also getting the axe, and this is one of them. What they're talking about here is a thing called Scout. It was a robot with six wheels that basically looked like a cooler had the Prime logo on the side. And what they're trying oh. to use this stuff for is the last mile delivery. So it, when you get everything into the delivery point, getting it actually to people's houses, which right now is, has to be done with a truck and a driver, of course, automating that. But uh, this was something that was tested. It started out in 2019. And it looks like they're not going to be pursuing it any further. In fact, 400 people got laid off when they closed the project, uh, which is kind of a bummer. And unfortunately, you know, sometimes these things just didn't play out. I think part of it too, and it's like the same thing with the drones. It's a good idea on paper, but there's a lot of issues with that. Well, stay tuned for our show this week. We've got some great stuff coming up for you and we'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Got a question for you. What do you think about the idea of having a private police department in PayPal? Uh, Our Tech Wednesday this week digs into this a little bit, but there is a situation that set the internet, social media, especially kind of a chatter over the weekend, and something that PayPal is very much denying. Although, start doing some digging in, into this, and you'll find that it may not be completely something that they're saying was just a, just a, just an oversight. And what's going on here is when you install software, when you go to websites, all of those different kinds of things, you probably have seen these things called end-user license agreements. Yep. Now, mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not an attorney, and I don't claim to be one, and I know just as a, as a user, I look at these things, and I'm not going to read through that. I mean, it's, it's 50 pages of gobbledygook. And yeah. there are times that I've tried to kind of browse through things that I thought maybe to the topic areas that I thought might be important. Yeah. But 
You know, I, I, I don't, I'm not an attorney, so I don't really understand legal ease. Yeah. And, yeah, and, uh, and I think in a lot of ways they're written that are designed for people to do that, that they just, it's so difficult to comprehend that, you know, or read that, that most people don't. And what these agreements are for is the rules, if you will, of using their application, their website, whatever the situation may be. And most bigger companies have these, even smaller ones do. And what PayPal did is they had a draft that leaked out last week of an update to their end-user license agreement that was going to go into effect, at least according to this document, in November. And this is where (laughs) Mm -hmm. things get a little bit weird. The document talked about an ability for PayPal to go in and find their users $2,500 an incident for things that they deem disinformation. And of course, it was PayPal that was determining what was going to be disinformation. Now, this gets really scary. And I've dealt with, not for this reason, but stuff in the past with PayPal. I've been a user of their system since 2003 and have found that they are very heavy-handed with things where when they decide that they can take some of your money, they do. And it's extremely difficult, if at all possible, to even get it back. So let's say that you had $900 in your PayPal account, and then the way that their system works is you usually have a financial account to back it up, a credit card checking account, something like that, that you can move money from and to that would be in your normal bank. So the $900 would come out, and then the additional part of the fine, uh, which in that case would be what, $1,400, would be debited to your credit card or taken directly out of your checking account. Nobody would ask you because you've agreed to this end-user license agreement. So. Hmm. This obviously is not being well received. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I would, I would expect that because that doesn't make any sense. Be some sort of arbitrary decision on the part of PayPal that they can just take your money. They can if just you haven't done anything you, wrong. Yeah, they're they're robbing I'd you. See, and I, I, I was wondering, um, why aren't they regulated like a banking institution? Yeah, because it's, <laughs> banks. You know, it's what's well, a good question. I know when money I first, from people. <laughs> so a little bit of the history of this. So PayPal has, like I said, has been around for a long time. I've used them since 2003. The service was, or the company was actually started in 1998 under another name. Uh, originally it was developed to make security software for handheld devices at that time that failed and fell flat. So they switched focus to a digital wallet and launched their first version of what we would know as PayPal in 1999. So afterwards, in March of 2000, they merged with a company called X.com, and this was an online financial services company founded by Elon Musk and others, and they renamed it to PayPal in 2001 and went public in 2002. Now, a lot of the, us will equate PayPal with eBay, and the reason for that is because eBay bought them afterwards very shortly, and until 2014, ran them as the go-to way to pay for stuff on the eBay auction site. So in a lot of cases, PayPal was your only option, and it was certainly the one that was promoted if the merchant would accept other things. A lot of that started to change as more and more of us are able to take credit cards now and didn't need all of the expensive equipment and stuff to do it, as well as other methods of payment being available. So they were spun off by eBay in 2014. Hmm. And while you can still pay with PayPal on eBay in some cases, it's certainly not the standard anymore. So PayPal became its own company, and they've tried to do a number of different things over the years. One of the more notable one recently was they were one of the first where you could go and buy cryptocurrency through your digital wallet. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> and in line with that, 
when the crypto craze was really going nuts last fall, it was about October, November of last year, and Bitcoin's at $60,000, you know, all this kind of stuff. They were really going gangbusters, but it's getting to a point now where they're kind of in trouble. Their stock's down and went down even more after this document came out. And again, PayPal's saying this this absolutely was a mistake. We didn't mean to have it in there. We're not going to do it, blah, blah, blah. But I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, and it it kind of creeped me out when, uh, you know, we were preparing the article for, is it, uh, what is it, Tech Wednesday? Mm -hmm. Tech Wednesday, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, wow. I, you know, because it's kind of scary where you would have an institution that you would think would be controlled and trustworthy that could just go and take your money from you. Yeah. Right. You know? Right. Yeah, that seems a little suspicious to me that they would include something in a document that they didn't intend to actually use. I don't know. I don't like the whole idea of private companies being able to find people, you know? Yeah, I, I think agree. that's something that should be reserved for law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in all reality, you know, because there's a check and a balance and you can go to court and you can fight things and you don't have a lot of those capabilities with situations like this. I remember, you know, just kind of a little bit of a tangent on this. A few years ago, I used to live in an apartment and about halfway through my lease there, they switched trash collection companies. And this new company came in that was picking up the trash from the apartments and had a system kind of like this in place where they sent you instructions. You will use a can of this size. The bag will not be, you know, over the top of the can. It will be folded closed. And if you violated any of their rules, they could fine you and they forced you to pay it as part of your rent. And if you didn't pay it, you were in rears on your rent and would get evicted. And again, no check and balance system on it or anything like that. Nobody asked me if that's what I wanted to do. It's just something they decided they were going to bring in. And this company has a rule of law. And I think these things really do subjugate everybody to some extent, but they're really, really hard against people of lesser means, maybe people that are undocumented, because they know these people aren't going to stand up and file a complaint with government agencies and things. Exactly. Because they're they're afraid afraid. to, because they don't want to get caught. Yeah. So they take full advantage of it. And I just don't feel that that's right. And it isn't right. It isn't Basically, it's a company saying, oh, I don't have to deal with the courts. I'm above yeah. them. Really? Yeah. And it just, uh, you know, by the way, when I did have my fight with PayPal back in the early 2000s, um, it was over, I don't remember what amount of money, but, uh, you know, we went through their investigation. They have an internal detective agency, I guess. And when they determined that I wasn't going to get my money back, I finally, I filed, I think, with the Bureau of Consumer Affairs and a complaint with the Better Business Bureau. And it took about six months, but I eventually did get my money back on that. But again, yeah. I'm one that, number one knows where to go and how to do it and is also willing to do it. But a lot of people can't time money or they're uncomfortable for whatever reason, filing a complaint. Yeah. So anyway, we'll see what's happening. By the way, just since I'm giving my opinion here, I will no longer be using PayPal. This is user-friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Listener question that keeps coming in has to do with damaged cars and specifically hurricane damaged cars with the hurricane that just rampaged its way through Florida and a lot of other ones to come. Questions on how you configure this out and avoid 
you know, having some major problems because these kind of vehicles can have all kinds of things and stuff that you might not see right off the bat. And there's a lot of very shiny cars out there that are not worth a penny. So you do have to be careful. And, and some other things thinking- are more obvious with this. Now, they always say to check out things like Carfax and other reporting services to be able to figure out the history of a vehicle. And certainly if it originates or was registered in a place like Florida where they've just had a hurricane, that would be reason number one to maybe just dig a little bit deeper. That doesn't mean it's a bad car. It just means, you know, be a little more careful. Some of the things to look for, and some of this is the same stuff that you would look for for water damage just in a house or anything else, is first of all, a musty order uh, or uh, odor. <laughs> uh, my ability to talk notwithstanding here, if you can smell it and it smells strange, something you might want to avoid, you know, and at least check out or go the other way. Damaged upholstery, which kind of goes along with this, depending on how badly flooded the car was. Now, upholstery is something that you can't always depend on because that's something that would have most likely been replaced if the seller was attempting to hide the damage. Yeah. Right. And then you're back to smelling a, smelling a weird odor. <laughs> so now, what are some other clues, you know, that are maybe, I don't know, where would you look for dirt or water damage? Well, okay, dried mud or silt. This is another thing because it gets into everything. Mm-hmm. Um, places like behind the car's glove compartment, under the seats, under the hood. In the headlights. Kind of lights, yeah. And that's another uh, thing you bring oh. that up, too, is it, they have on their list is water in the lights. Uh-huh. If there's moisture or fog, uh, visible moisture inside the light fixtures, it's a good sign the vehicle was submerged underwater for some time. And you should also inspect the lights for drilled holes that may have been added to drain the water because people will do strange things to try and cover it up. Now, one of the other things, too, on modern cars is there's a lot of electronics in them. So this is another thing to look at. If the wires appear to be brittle, because this may be a side effect after the car is dried out, that's something to be concerned about. And also check to make sure that everything works. If it has weird problems... And somebody says, oh, the windows don't roll down because it's a fuse. Probably look a little deeper than that and see what is actually going on to cause all those kind of problems. Now, this is good advice, new or old, modern or antique car. Get a mechanic to check it out. They can go through and figure out and know what to look for and know what to see in ways that you may not even think about, you know, because they're the professionals. And there's a lot of places that offer these services for very minimal cost, especially considering the amount of hassle it will save you if you don't have these kind of problems. Some places even offer it for free. Hmm. Now, and you, you actually had an experience with a minivan that um, wasn't that a, a, a car that was damaged during some kind of flooding? Yeah, this was a while ago. The, the one you're talking about, this would have been... I think it was a 98 model and I bought it in around 2001. Something like and, that. And yeah, it was those type of things. And this was back at a time I, you know, didn't really inspect it as much as I should have. And it, it had a cracked windshield, which should have been clue number one. Not that that's water damage, but it just wasn't well taken care of. But there were a number of other problems with it that came into this type of things. Now, this is one of the other things to check for, too, is rust. And being mm-hmm. that I bought this in Las Vegas, I didn't really think about that. But there was a <laughs> yeah. lot of rust on that vehicle. <laughs> And that car gave you nothing but uh, heartache after heartache after heartache. Oh, yeah, it was one thing after another. And it wasn't terribly high mileage. 
But I remember we were all together that trip. We were driving from Colorado to Las Vegas and the transmission went out in it. And mm-hmm. it was just, you know, a, a, a number, a number of different things like that. And it can be extremely costly to try to fix it because the car really is totaled when it's to that point. But it's not like it's been in an accident where it's recorded necessarily. So you do have to be very, very careful. Now, in the days of the car that we were just talking about, that was Las Vegas. And like I say, it was early 2000s. So we didn't have Carfax and those type of things at that point. Now you do. So it's a good thing to check it all out. And again, start out to see where it was registered. If it was registered in Florida or another place that was hit by a storm, and all of a sudden it's being sold in another state or something like that, not that it's highly unusual for car dealers to do that, but it's definitely something to then take out the magnifying glass, dig into it a little more, and figure it out. So send us your questions and your comments. We try to get out of here and answer them for you. One user-friendly on Facebook, one user-friendly on Twitter, userfriendlyshow.com, and we will be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Listener question that has come in actually quite a few times now has to do with the idea of protecting electronics. And for all of us, people like me especially that love this stuff, there is quite an investment that's made in buying all of the gizmos, gadgets, and things that we like. And whether that's $20 smart home sensors that turn things on and off or an $1,800 television or something even more expensive, depending on what you like, all this stuff adds up and it can all break down. And electronics tend to be a lot more sensitive to things than a lot of the other stuff out there. So there's a couple of ways to deal with this. And on a most basic perspective is putting a surge suppressor on your devices. These can be purchased very inexpensively. The one thing I do recommend is get a name brand. Some are better than others. There's a lot of them out there. If you go to a site like Amazon or something, you're going to get a lot of different things, some very cheap. Cheap is not necessarily better on this stuff. Look for something that has good ratings and has the ability to handle what you need. That is another part of it is is all of these different devices have a throughput. So based on what you're going to plug into them, you don't want to overload the device because that can cause problems too. And what that does is if there's peaks and drops in the electricity, which is very common, it will balance that out. So your electronic device that's plugged into it doesn't get affected by that as much. So I have a and question. That, yeah. Um, I have an HP LaserJet 4. Yes, you do. And it, and it, I've been told do not put it on a, you know, a, a, a device. You have to plug it, plug it straight into the wall. So why can't I put a surge protector on that one? Okay. In a lot of laser printers, you can, some you can't, and check with the manufacturer for the specifics on it. But I think what you're probably thinking of is a UPS. And oh. that is actually the next step in a device to protect your thing. So a UPS, most of them have a surge suppressor built in, but they also have a battery. So the reason why, and to answer your question, because it's a very good one, they don't recommend putting laser printers on a UPS is because while the UPS has a battery that might be able to supply that printer with power just fine, some of what the printer does can cause problems. So the way that a laser printer works, just the basic description of that is you send an image to the printer, a laser writes it to the drum using static electricity to do it, 
the drum is rolled through toner and then the toner is rolled on a piece of paper and the uh, toner is essentially then melted to the paper and it puts it out. That's why the paper is warm when you get it. And that's where the problem lies with using UPSs. The device that melts the toner to the paper heats up when it runs. It's called a fuser. And that will start drawing a lot more electricity, just like any heater when it runs. And then all of a sudden that can overload the battery and that will, in a lot of cases, burn out your fuser. And it's extremely expensive to repair those, a lot of times more than the printer would cost. So that's one reason. The other has to do with the way the electrical signal works, but it's just not a good idea to do that. If the power goes out, the printer shuts off. The worst case scenario is you put a piece of paper jammed inside that you have to get out later but you haven't actually damaged your equipment unless you're frustrated like me and get it out in a way that's somewhat <laughs> incompatible with the printer. Right. But, um, you mean like with scissors or do something stupid. Yeah, or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've had my days, believe me. And that's something just every device is different. Check with the manufacturer, HP Brother, the companies that make all these Kyocera have online support where you can very easily ask a technician what is and isn't safe for your printer. And this generally only applies to laser printers, desk jets, which are a different technology don't have those restrictions, but that's why. And it, it good point, Gretchen, because it is something to think about. But for other devices, UPSs can be a good idea, especially computers, because if the power goes out completely, it won't do a hard shutdown. It'll keep the computer on for a little while. And most higher end UPSs have a USB port that will shut the computer down the correct way when it starts to run out of power. And again, the capacity of UPSs varies based on what kind of batteries in them, how many, all of that type of thing, and what you're doing with it. So you need to check into that. Now, the next thing that you can do if you really want to get into this is look at doing things that will protect your entire house because you can't easily plug a surge suppressor into your range in the kitchen, as a for example. And yeah. modern appliances have computers in them, oh, just yeah. like anything else. That's right. You think about it, and they're susceptible to things like your HVAC system, furnaces, even some modern water heaters. I mean, all of this stuff has the same kind of things. Maybe it's a little more robust in some cases, but still can be problematic if it gets hit with a power surge. And to that end, you can get a device that's called a whole house uh, surge suppressor. I have one of these. I put it in. The whole thing end to end cost me about $400, including a professional electrician to install it, which I highly recommend for that because you're adding a circuit breaker and dealing with 220 power. Unless you know what you're doing, that can be extremely dangerous. And they just came out and it took them 15 minutes. And, you know, again, having the expert do it really helped. But what this does is it applies the idea of a surge suppressor to your entire house. And that's that way, anything that's on the back end of the light. And it's very interesting because there's subtle changes that it makes. Things as basic as your light bulbs will last longer, even LEDs. You really? don't have flickering. Mm. Yeah, you don't have flickering. That's another thing that I noticed that immediately went away with this. And the other thing that was kind of interesting is I have a couple of devices with motors in them, you know, like fans and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh -huh. That would hum. The hum went away. And it's just Whoa, it's because it's got cleaner power. Wow, yeah. that's interesting. Now, I know that sometimes um, if you have flickering light that it can cause seizures in yep. some people. So maybe if you're having problems with that, maybe looking into a device. It's definitely like that? something to check. I mean, if you have a flickering light like that, if it's fluorescent, get rid of the fluorescent. That's old technology. And if it still does it, it usually means that you have the wrong kind of dimmer, um, mm -hmm. which will cause that. But if you've checked all of that out and you still have it, this might be something to look into. And especially in today's money, it's not that expensive, really, four or $500. I mean, it's a chunk of change. But when you think about what that can do to save grief on down the road, just in keeping your equipment going, 
And the other yeah. thing I found out is that some insurance policies will give you a little bit of a discount on your premiums for having these kind of safety features installed. So that's hmm. another thing to check into. So it might be worth a little bit more than just simply the cost to install it, to be able to look at it from that standpoint too. But these are some things you can do that can definitely help prolong the life of your electronics. One of the other things too that's important, if you're in an area with lightning storms, age old thing for it, just turn your equipment off when it's doing that. It's just a good idea. At the end of the day, we can live without the computer, even me, for a few minutes while the thunderstorm's going on, I think. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. Don't forget to check out our social media, One User Friendly on Facebook and Twitter, and now LinkedIn, userfriendlyshow.com. Another great show this week. Can't believe we're this far along in the year, but we're getting into the holidays, you know, and <laughs> looking ahead, we've got some cool television coming on, specials, that type of thing. And on the holiday front, or on the Halloween front, rather, is a show called Ghosts. So tell us about that. Well, actually, it's it, it's been on all year, yes. um, and this is the second season. And um, Jeremy, you said that th this was based on a British it, show. Yeah, it's based on a British show. Uh, the premise is the same: a young couple inherits a house. They they move there. Uh, they're in a financial difficulty, so they want to make the ho the the house into a bed and breakfast or a hotel mm -hmm. in the uh, British version. Ah, and then um, there's an accident, and the young lady of the series being dead for a couple minutes ends up being able to see and hear the ghosts. The husband throughout the, on both series has no clue. <laughs> He's like, yeah, okay, there's ghosts here. Well, great, whatever. And then he tries to interact with them and it's, he fails miserably every time. And I love the ghosts. The ghosts are amazing. Uh, we've got a, we've got a Viking guy. We've got a, a 1700s revolutionary guy. We got a, a, a black jazz singer. We've got the late, uh, a lady who's actually supposed to be, a relative of the young woman. We have a hippie. Um, we have an '80s guy, kind of a slime bulb guy, but he, he's not—he's not wearing any pants. Um, yeah, so it's—it's <laughs> it's been fun. It uh, has been fun. Oh, and there's the Boy Scout. There's the Boy Scout leader. troop leader. The you know the, the uh, Indian. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love the Indian. The things that he says are so funny. So sape. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. It's great. You know, either either if you watch either version, you're going to laugh because they, they're they well written and they're funny. So if you're the husband, you have no idea that these people are wandering around your home and making comments about you or the things that are happening. Yes. <laughs> and the ghosts love watching TV. OK, yeah. well, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> and because they were like really bored before and it's like, wow. The the Viking guys going like, hey, now we have entertainment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I could sort of see that. It's just uh, you know. So what? Wh where, where do you watch this? I think this is a CBS. It, it's thing. a CBS thing, but we've been watching it on on Hulu. Okay, yeah. So place to go for that. All right. So the show's called Ghost. I evidently in the second season. You can see how on top of that I was. Yeah, I've never heard of it before, but uh, <laughs> it's really cute. It's it is. funny, and so. some of the people that come are. 
Um, well, you have to watch it. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it sounds it's it pretty sounds funny. like it. It sounds like it. All right, cool. So, yeah, something to do for this holiday season and decorating is another one. We're going to be talking about that on next week's show. People are going a little nuts this year, and I can understand why I'm one of them. Until then, this is User Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User Friendly 2.0, copyright 2014 to 2022. User Friendly Media Group, Inc. All rights reserved. The views and opinions on this show are those of the host, and not necessarily those of the User Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensed by BMI. Hosting provided by WeirdTechnology.com. Podcast available at UserFriendlyNation.com, TheAnswerPortland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.